0: We're kicking off a new series here today called Jesus Is. And we're excited about this series cuz you know, exploring who Jesus is is so important whether you're a Christian or whether you're brand new to it. It's so important to continue to discover and rediscover who Jesus is. I remember years ago when I was first working with kids, I was first a youth pastor. I was like 22 years old and I was working in my first kind of full-time job as a youth pastor and I was working with middle school students and I took them out for pizza one day after youth group and We were hanging out there at the pizza place, and as we left, I didn't realize it, but the kids had a bunch of extra garlic knots with them, and as we were walking back to the church van the kids saw another group of kids just like from the neighborhood hanging out in the parking lot. And one of them, my guys thought it would be a great idea to launch one of the garlic knots at this group of kids on the other side of the parking lot. And so I had no idea this happened. So I'm just walking in the van and all of a sudden the other group of kids didn't think it was so funny and they started coming toward my kids and I had no clue what was happening. And so all of a sudden my kids are like, hey, Doug, get in the van, hurry up, hurry up, get us back to the church. I'm like, wow, you guys really love Jesus. You really want to get back and, and worship God. I'm so proud of you, you know. And, and then we get in the van and then I start to hear... Oh, man, how funny was that? We threw the garlic knot across the thing. And I said, you did what? And I slam on the brakes and I turned the van around and we start going back toward the pizza place. And I'm like, Doug, what are you doing? Doug, what are you doing? You never saw like a bunch of tough kids turn into whimpering children so quick. It was great. But they're like, what are you doing? And I'm like, we're going to go back there and apologize for what you guys just did. And so we drive back and I roll down the windows and it was like silent and all my guys' eyes were like this, you know, in the van. And I said to the kids, I said, guys, I just want to apologize to you for how immature these kids just were. I, I'm so sorry that they did that, and that's not what we're about, and that's not what God's about. And if you ever need anything, you know where to find me. This is the name of the church around the side of the van, which you guys already saw as we were leaving here, you know. And so we drive away and, and, and took off, and, and you might say, well, Doug, why did you do that? Because I wanted to scare the life out of my youth group kids. <laughs> no, I did it because I wanted these people, these kids out in the community to know what Christians are really like and what Jesus is really like. See, I didn't want their impression of Christians to be that they throw something at you, jump in the church van and drive back to the church and then worship God, right? And so I'm thinking to myself, man, I got to go set the record straight and help them see what Christians really are and who Jesus really is. And so that's what this series is all about because we have misunderstandings about who Jesus is. And we want to set the record straight here in this series and say, this is what Jesus is actually like. Maybe you heard this, maybe you experienced that, but this is actually who Jesus is like. Now, some of you guys might have bad experiences. Maybe some of you uh, grew up and you had some experiences with Christians that weren't so great. Maybe you were one of the kids that we threw the garlic knot at. I'm not quite sure, you know. But maybe you've had some bad experiences and you've thought, oh, that's what Jesus is like. Okay. Because people, here's what they do. They take what Christians are like and suddenly that becomes what Jesus is like, right? So if you had a bad experience with a Christian, suddenly that experience is, wow, that's what God's like and that's what a Jesus follower is like. And so we get a little bit confused sometimes. Because of our experiences. Or some of us might have grown up in church and just had a bad taste in our mouth because something happened or somebody did something they shouldn't have done or someone we looked up to really let us down or, and we just get these images of God that are just totally misconstrued. Now some of you guys might have have zero church experience and you were here on Easter for the first time last week which is so exciting and you're back or or maybe you weren't able to come but you're here today somebody invited you or you just found us online or something and here you are and that's just incredible. We hope that you feel at home here but you might be coming in the door with some baggage about who Jesus is and what he's all about and so we want to do this series to work through some of that but it's not just about that. It's not just about the new person. It's also about those of us who've been around church for a long time because often we have some questions about who Jesus is. Sometimes we go through some hard things in life and suddenly what we were once so sure about who Jesus was gets called into question. It's also, though, about the fact that you and I represent who Jesus is to the world. And so we're going to talk about kind of all these facets throughout this series of who Jesus is if you're here for the first time checking it out, who Jesus is if you're kind of in process and unsure. But who Jesus is for the rest of us and how we're supposed to represent him to the world. So the first thing that you have to know about who Jesus is, is that Jesus is God, okay? Now we're not going to talk about that today. You are like, Doug, what's the point of bringing it up? Because that's really the most important thing you need to know about him, first and foremost, is that Jesus is God. Now the reason we're not starting out part one of this series with that information is because we have really talked about that for the last several weeks. Three weeks ago, we talked about how God the Father literally split the skies and spoke, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased, right? And then two weeks ago, it said in Hebrews, as we looked at in depth, that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. So he's God in the flesh. And then last week on Easter, we talked about Jesus coming as the Son of God to die in our place and rise back from the dead. So we have really established over the last several weeks that Jesus is God. But The question then is, well, what kind of God is he? Is he like the God you see in the movies? Is he like the gods of Greek mythology? Who is Jesus? And that's what we're going to explore here in this series. And I really hope it impacts you if you're not a follower of Jesus. But I also really hope it helps you and challenges you if you are. And so I think one of the big, some of the big misconceptions we have about Jesus go like this. If you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe some of your, your misunderstandings of who Jesus is goes like this. You know, if I don't believe everything about Jesus right now, if I don't open up the Bible and look at Genesis and go all the way through all the books and end at Revelation and believe everything that I just read, then Jesus must not want me to be kind of approaching him or, or, or looking into him or trying to figure out who he is. You know, it's almost it feels like if I don't believe everything about Jesus right now, then he's unapproachable until I do. And some of you guys might just sort of feel like, how can I approach God? How can I approach him with questions? How can I have doubts? How can I, how can I approach Jesus when he is probably not wanting me to approach him until I say, yes, I am a follower, I am a believer, right? Now, the other side of that is there's a lot of us followers of Jesus in the room, and we're pretty convinced of who Jesus is. But I guess my question for you and me is, is are we approachable? Are we approachable to the people in our lives, the people we go to school with and we work with and live in our neighborhoods, are we approachable as they might have doubts and they might have some things that they're working through? Are we open to having conversations with people about Jesus, maybe if they don't believe anything like we believe? And so maybe you're here today saying, man, I'd love to have a conversation with Jesus, but I can't imagine he'd want to until I believe everything about him. Couldn't be further from the truth. You might be here today saying, man, I think as Christians, we're not supposed to have conversations with people who don't believe or think like us. Couldn't be further from the truth, and we're going to dig into that today. Another thing we might struggle with is, man, Jesus wants nothing to do with my doubts or questions. Jesus just, he, he can't quite handle that. I mean, I know I'm supposed to come with all this faith, so he wants nothing to do with my doubts or my questions when it comes to him. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you might have, again, sort of a struggle with, well, man, I don't think I'm supposed to engage people in conversation who have doubts or questions. Couldn't be further from the truth. Again, again, dig dig into that here today. Some of us might be saying, man, Jesus would not want me to be in process. He kind of wants you either to be you know, a strong Christian or you're not a Christian at all. But this whole like, kind of like in between of like figuring it out and exploring and, and kind of just trying to wrap my mind around the tough questions about who God is and, and why bad things happen in life and all this stuff. He's probably not in for that, right? Because he's, he's got no patience for me being in process. Couldn't be further from the truth. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I hope today you and I will become the kind of people who help others who are in process. And isn't it true though? as followers of Jesus, that often we're still in process, that we still have questions, that we still have some doubts. As we go through life and, and things that we once believed so clearly and, and passionately about Jesus suddenly get called into question that sometimes you know, we don't quite know how to manage that, and, and we even wonder ourselves, what is God thinking of me right now? What, what is God thinking of me as I question some of these really difficult things? Is he okay with it? Am I allowed to do this? And so we're going to look today and really just kind of narrow in on all of these different misunderstandings of who Jesus is, that he doesn't really have an interest in having conversations with people who don't think like him, that he's not okay with questions and he's not okay with people being in process. And so I hope you are going to be drawn to who Jesus is as we look at this today. And I hope if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to help others be drawn to him as we look at this. So we're going to look at a famous passage of Scripture and discover today who Jesus really is. So John 3. Verse 1 says this, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now that kind of seems like one of those verses you read, and you're like, okay, that was kind of like an introductory verse. Let's get on to the real meat here, right, Doug? No, there is so much we need to stop and pause and look at in that first opening verse. Because it's going to tell us a lot about who Jesus is willing to have conversations with. See, here's this guy, Nicodemus, who in a minute is going to approach Jesus and wants a conversation with him. But we need to know who he is. Scripture here tells us. He's a Pharisee. Who were the Pharisees? They were these really religious people, these people that were all about keeping the rules, and they would oppose Jesus at every chance they had throughout Jesus' ministry. He was also a member of the Jewish ruling council, and the name of them were the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin in this first century, they were given the ability to rule underneath the Romans. So it's like the Romans had complete authority, complete rule, but they allowed the Jewish Sanhedrin to have some say in the local way that things were carried out with their customs, their laws, their traditions. And so the Sanhedrin were like the final authority in the Jewish rules of the day. And so here is this man who was a Pharisee, a religious person, who was a part of the group that would oppose Jesus at every turn. He's a a member of the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin would eventually get the permission of Pilate to execute Jesus. So this is the guy coming to talk to Jesus. This is the guy who wants to have a conversation with Jesus. He could not have been more different. And Jesus was not only smart, he's God in the flesh. And so you know what he knows? When Nicodemus is approaching him, he sees a Pharisee and a member of the Sanhedrin, and he knows who's going to execute him. He knows who's going to oppose him. And so here's Jesus looking at this guy going, wow, he is as different as you could get from me. He believes the exact opposite about everything I would believe. In fact, one day, him and his buddies are going to basically fight to get me put on a cross. What will Jesus do here? Can you imagine what you would do, right? I mean, as you think through all of the different scenarios, how would you handle this? Let's look at it from the one side. If you're not a follower of Jesus, can you imagine Jesus would respond to you? Can you imagine he would want to have a conversation with you if you're from those two groups that oppose him? if you're of this other mindset that couldn't be further from who Jesus is and what he stands for, maybe that's why you haven't approached Jesus. Maybe that's why you're nervous to approach Jesus because you can't imagine he'd want anything to do with a conversation with you. He can't imagine. You can't imagine he'd be okay with your questions or the fact that maybe you are in process. And so here's this really religious guy approaching Jesus. And maybe you woke up this morning thinking, I'm I'm a pretty religious person. I'm a pretty good person. here. It's Nicodemus, this really good religious person realizing something, and I hope it's what you realize today. Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe even though I've tried to keep the rules most of my life and I've been a pretty good person, maybe Jesus has something I don't have. Now, that's the religious side, but then there's the other side of us in the room who woke up this morning and said, man, I am so far from God, I can't imagine he would want me. You know what's interesting, though, about the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin? is that they looked really good in public. They looked really good when they were up front and everybody, but they were a mess behind the scenes. They were a complete mess behind the scenes to the point that they would put Jesus on the cross out of jealousy and out of what he was doing to their religious system of the day. And so you have those of us who woke up feeling really good about ourselves today, I hope today realizing, wow, maybe Jesus has something to offer, I need. And those of us who are really far and maybe really bad, realizing, I hope, the same thing. Wow, Jesus might actually be okay with a conversation with me. And so what will Jesus do when Nicodemus approaches him? If you're a follower of Jesus, what do you do when the people from the other groups approach you, the people least like you? Just think about it. What do we do? How do we naturally respond? It's the coworker, it's the friend, it's the person who always has the opposing view and always has the opposing argument. What do we do? Have we shut those people out? Have we decided that there's no way God's ever gonna touch their lives? Have we given up on them? What will you do when the person with the opposing view asks you a question? So important, right? I mean, and the funny thing is, is in our day, we put people in groups too, right? And so maybe Republicans, what do we do when the Democrat has the question? Or Democrats, what do we do when the Republican has the question, right? Yankees fans, how you treating Mets fans, you know what I'm saying, right? I mean, just two, just I was just thinking about this. Um, you know, when you see three Yankees fans buried up to their shoulders in concrete, what do you do? You get more concrete, of course, obviously. No, all right, all right, take it easy. I got a Mets joke too. I got a Mets joke too, all right? What's the difference between the Yankees and the Mets? The last world championship team picture for the Yankees is not in black and white. So there you have it. Okay, so I got you. I got you both sides there, right? But what will we do when that opposing person comes up to us? What will Jesus do? Look Verse 2, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. No one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So here's Nicodemus who belongs to the other camps, who opposed Jesus, and who would eventually work to have him executed. And here's Nicodemus coming at night, probably so no one would see him, probably so no one would know that he was you know, exploring who Jesus was, right? And maybe that's some of you here today. Maybe you snuck in. Hoping no one you know will recognize you. Hoping no one you see from school or work happens to go to this church as well. And you're here kind of exploring Jesus. And here he is looking into who this man that has changed everything is. And he recognizes that Jesus has some things that he can't quite wrap his mind around. Is that you today? That is so awesome if that's you today. I just want to say that. I am so excited that you are here if that's you. You're trying to wrap your mind around who Jesus is and if he can be trust It's kind of like Nicodemus is here going, I don't quite get you, Jesus, but there's something about you I can't resist. And maybe that's you here today. You're like, I don't even know why I'm here. I don't even know why I came back after Easter. I don't even know why I even, you know, explored coming here. I don't know why I said yes to the invitation of my friend coming, but here you are today. And maybe you're wondering, what would Jesus do if I approach him? And that's what Nicodemus. May be thinking right now. And so he comes and he talks with Jesus and he opens up with this sort of exploratory question of almost like, who are you? No one performs these signs and wonders apart from God. But then verse 3 it says this just two words, so important. Jesus replied. Jesus replied. Do you know what a big deal it is that Jesus replied? To the guy from the two other camps, from the two other groups who couldn't have been less like Jesus. Do you know what a huge deal is that Jesus didn't say, you know Nicodemus, I don't have time for this. You know Nicodemus, you're in those other groups. I don't really talk with people in those other groups, sorry. No, Jesus replied. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you've been afraid to approach Jesus, I hope today that Nicodemus' story inspires you, even if it's at night so to speak, even if it's under the cover of dark so to speak, to explore who Jesus is. And if you are a follower of Jesus, are we the kind of people who would reply? Or are we the kind of people that would walk away? Because we don't talk to those people. Because they're in a different group. Because they've asked too many questions. Because they are too far from God. Because they've doubted too much. Because they're just not certain like we are. Challenging stuff. But Jesus replied. And here's what he said. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So here is Jesus, not only replying, but giving literally the hope of salvation and love and a relationship with God to this man from the other groups. So incredibly powerful. Can I tell you one thing about who Jesus is? Would you read this with me? Jesus is willing to have conversations with people who disagree with him. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope you hear that loud and clear today because you might say, man, I disagree with Jesus about so many things or I read the Bible and I just can't wrap my mind around why God would do some things or allow some things and Jesus is ready to have a conversation with you. He's ready for you to start to ask some questions. He's ready for you to explore what you believe and, and, and here's, we have to kind of look at the other, other side of it now. As followers of Jesus, we have to be the kind of people who are willing to have conversations with people who disagree with us and that's hard. That's not easy all the time, right? But here is Jesus being this incredible model for you and me. That it's okay to not understand everything right now. It's okay to not believe everything about Jesus and who he is right now. It's okay to be in process. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to talk. It's okay to explore. We have to be the kind of Christians who broadcast that. Hey, I'm approachable. Come talk with me. Jesus would talk with you, and so I would as well. Understandably, Nicodemus has a question about this whole being born again thing. Verse 4, he says, How can someone be born again when they are old? Nicodemus says, Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And this is an understandable and slightly disturbing question. But here is Nicodemus asking this question. And again, Jesus does not say, I don't have time for this. Forget you. You you don't get it. You don't get it. I just told you you have to be born again. Nicodemus, sorry, bro. You're out. It's not what he says, right? Look what it says. Verse 5, two words. Jesus answered. Wait, wait, come on. I mean, the first question was enough, right? But Jesus answers again. He's still in the conversation. He's still going back and dialoguing with this man from the other groups. Can I tell you something else Jesus says? Read this with me. Jesus is not afraid of our questions. He's not afraid of you and I coming and saying, I don't get this. I don't understand that. Or this bothers me. Or how could this happen? Or, or why would you allow this? Or, or who are you? What do you want to do with my life? What does it look like to follow you? He's okay with our questions. This is one of the things I love about the Psalms because David's always asking God questions. You read through Job. Job's always asking God, why this? Why that? How has this happened? And what, is, what has led to all this? And, and why me? And I mean, these deep questions. And Jesus is not afraid of our questions. And he gives Nicodemus an answer. He says, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. So Jesus continues the conversation. He's making it clear. He's not saying anybody should go back in the womb. He's saying, okay, when we're born physically, we're born of the water, right? I mean, naturally, right, what's the big thing? Oh, my water broke, right? So that's of water, right? But he's saying, but now, I'm talking about being born of the Spirit. I'm talking about your dead heart coming to life, your soul coming to know Jesus to be saved by God. And so he continues this conversation. And you know what? This should be a great encouragement to you if you are not a follower of Jesus, because Jesus is not afraid of your questions. He's not afraid of you coming to him and trying to figure it out and wrap your mind around things that are difficult to understand And this should be a great challenge to you and me if we're followers of Jesus because we can't be afraid of people's questions. And I know that's hard because I think a couple different things come into play here. I think sometimes we're just not happy that what we believe so passionately is coming into question and there's something uncomfortable about that and I get that. I think also sometimes we're afraid of not always having the right answers and it's okay to say you don't know sometimes, guys, right? It's okay. In fact, I think one of the most powerful things we can do sometimes is say, you know what, God is like so big and some of the things he does, I just can't wrap my mind around them. So I don't know the answer to that, but I can tell you some of the things I do know. Here's how he changed my life. Here's, here's how I found peace and joy and hope when I had none. Here's the healing he brought. And he began to tell stories about just life change. No one can argue with life change. And sometimes we have to you know, say things like, you know, for example, I, I could say my daughter was about two years old. She pulled a drum off of a stand and it cut her right here between her eyes and she had to get all these stitches and, and you know, taking her to the hospital, how could I explain to my child, my two year old, why she is strapped down to a wooden board and they're putting a needle her skin. You know what I mean? How can I explain that? As a two-year-old child, she can't grasp that, why I'm allowing that, even though I could say, honey, this is for your good. This is going to make you better. This is going to heal you. And there are times in our lives, guys, when we are strapped down to the board, so to speak, and we're going, God, why? God, why? God, why? And and we don't get the answer right then and there all the time, but we can always know with God, he's saying, I love you, and this is for your good, and this is going to heal you, and this is going to lead to good for you. And so sometimes we just have to be able to realize that like, God is so much bigger than us and we don't always get every single thing we go through right now. But God is always good. And we can always have that answer for people. And we don't have to have every answer for people as long as we can keep pointing them to the life change he's made. It's, also, it's almost like sometimes we go through life like hoping no one will ask us about Jesus. You know? Like, please don't ask me about Jesus. Please don't, right? Peter tells us, always have an answer ready for the hope that you've received. Sometimes it's like we go through life like, okay, I'm okay to tell him I'm a Christian. I'm okay to invite him to church once in a while. I'll hand a little business card out, but don't ask me any questions, you know. It's almost like as parents, you know, like we're all afraid of the talk. Kids, don't ask me, you know. A few weeks ago or a few months ago, I am sitting watching TV with the whole family, and Land just turns around and goes, okay, so where do babies come from? Oh, okay, here we go, right? And uh, Kate and Land, and my older two just look at it, or Kate and Bryn look at each other and kind of like smile and laugh because they've had to the talk. So Land and I went to the living room. We had to talk, and we come back in the den- into the den, and Land goes, well, that just happened like, uh, yes, it did. Yes, it did, son. God was gracious to get me through that talk, right? But it's almost like we're afraid. Like, oh, please don't ask me. You go through our work week. We go through our schooling, you know. Like, oh, please, no one ask me about Jesus. No one, you know. Man, we've got to be okay. Because Jesus is okay with questions. We have to be okay with it. And we have to figure out, and this is hard because we're emotional and we're passionate about what Jesus has done in our lives. We have to figure out a way to not, like, argue and get all angry and get all upset. Because that is not what Jesus did with Nicodemus when he had questions. He just lovingly and calmly answered him and, and continued this conversation. Over the next several verses, Nicodemus asks more questions, Jesus gives more answers. And then we get to one of the most famous verses in the whole Bible. If you've ever watched a football game, you've seen this up on somebody's sign, right? John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, perish but have ever, everlasting or eternal And so think about this, Jesus just led his potential enemy who belongs to the other groups to the hope of salvation, to the hope of love, to the hope of a relationship with God. Incredible. And so here is Jesus continuing this conversation with somebody who on the outside thought he was too good to be saved, but on the inside knows he's not worthy of being saved because he knows he's just religious and it's all a show anyway. And here's Jesus telling him where to find salvation, where to find hope. Continuing the conversation. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This is the mission of God, to come and rescue, to come and save us, to come and free us from our sin and our guilt and our shame. It's the message and the hope of mission of God, right? But now, Jesus lays down some hard truth and love. We're gonna talk about this a lot next week. But look at what he says. We're gonna read kind of a chunk of verses here. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Powerful conversation. What Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, this really religious guy, is, hey, man, I know you think you have it all together, and I know all the people are impressed with you Pharisees and you Sanhedrin, but God sees what you do in the dark. God sees what you do in those little hidden places, and nobody else sees. So Nicodemus, I know you think you're a good guy, and I know you think you're really religious, and you got this, but you need saving. You need rescuing because at the heart, Nicodemus, you are a sinner like everybody else. Is that some of us today? Maybe realizing, wow, I need help. I need rescuing. I need the love of God in my life. I need his salvation. I need his work in my life. Now, the interesting thing about Nicodemus and Jesus' conversation is that it's over. It's over. And there's no bow on the end of the story. Like, Nicodemus didn't, like, fall to his knees and repent and ask Jesus to be his Savior and join the parking team at the church the next Sunday. Like, that's not what happened. He, like, continues to be Nicodemus. But here he's had this life changing conversation with Jesus, which should tell us a lot about both Jesus and people who come to Jesus. Jesus was okay with the questions. He had a conversation with someone who didn't believe what he believed. And Nicodemus seemingly leaves just like he came. In fact, when we catch up with him in John chapter 7 a while later, Nicodemus is not like a full-blown disciple follower of Jesus. He has not quit the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and gone and lived the life following Jesus around the world. In fact, when we find him, he's with the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are trying to arrest Jesus so they can crucify him. And here's Nicodemus in the middle of all this, and the Pharisees said, sent some guards out and said, hey, go bring Jesus back. And the guards came back empty handed because Jesus is legit and said some crazy stuff. And the guards were like baffled and they came back going, It was almost like, these are not the droids you're looking for. Like, like literally, they came back and they're like, We don't know what happened, but Jesus is incredible and we're not, he's not with us. You know? Like, they were just like floored, you know? And so, here in this conversation, as the Pharisees are upset and angry with the guards, look what happens. Look what happens. Look who sticks up for Jesus in, in John 7, verse 50. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's been doing? So here is is Nicodemus defending his friend Jesus, the one who was willing to have a conversation with him, the one who was willing to answer his questions. Saying, wait a minute, is this what we do? We just execute someone without even giving them a trial? And so he's in process here, isn't he? I mean, he's not like, hey, Jesus is the Savior of the world. But he's also not like, hey, Pharisees, let's, let's go crucify him. There's something going on. He's in process here. Pharisees dismiss Nicodemus's remarks and disperse the meeting. But this shows something powerful about Jesus and about our process in him. Would you read this with me? Jesus is patient while we're in process. See, if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're trying to figure this out or you're a newer follower of Jesus and you're still trying to wrap your head around some of this stuff, I just want you to know Jesus is patient with you and me while we are in process, while we are still on the road toward, okay, he's my Savior, I'm going to follow him, or I'm not so sure about this and the questions we have. Jesus is patient because when the conversation with Nicodemus ended, that's not the end of Nicodemus' story. The conversation ended, Nicodemus' story goes on. And so I just want you to know, if you're not a follower of Jesus, that he's patient with you as you explore and as you poke around a little bit and try to figure him out. But if you are a follower of Jesus, this is who we have to be out in the world. People who are patient with those who are in process. This is why we can't get frustrated with people when we've invited them for the 95th time to the Easter service and they didn't come. Patient with them in process. This is why we have to be okay with their questions, again, at the office or at school this week. Because we've got to be patient with them. You know where this is really hard to live at, guys? In our own homes. Hardest place. A loved one who lives in our home. A child, a spouse, a parent. And they haven't put their trust in Jesus yet. We've got to be patient with them while they are in process. Because Jesus is patient while we're in process. And that's the truth about all of us, isn't it? Right? Although many of us in this room would say, hey, I'm saved and I'm a child of God and I belong to him. We're still in process. And sometimes we get it right and sometimes we get it wrong, but we're still In process moving toward him. The story continues, and we're going to fast forward a good bit now because Nicodemus' story still isn't over yet. You see, Jesus is put on the cross, and he's crucified. Sanhedrin one. And as Jesus' body is being taken down on the cross, something pretty incredible happens. John 19, verse 38 says this, Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly came because he feared the Jewish leaders. When Pilate's permission... He came and took the body away. And look who is with Joseph. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Think about that. Here is Nicodemus. Do you know where he's not right now? He's not celebrating at the Pharisee and Sanhedrin after party for crucifying Jesus. He's with Joseph, caring for the body of Jesus. The one who answered his questions. The one had a conversation with him, the one who allowed him to be in process. The verses go on. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Wow. Talk about somebody coming full circle. Part of the other groups has a conversation, asks some questions, is in process for a while, stands up for Jesus, and then eventually takes the lifeless body of Jesus and lays it in a tomb. And I just wonder, oh man, I wish it was in the scriptures, but it's not. I just wonder what Nicodemus thought. I wonder what he was thinking when he heard the news that his friend Jesus was back from the dead that he'd been alive, that he'd risen, that others had seen him, that that they had touched the nail holes in his hands, that they had eaten breakfast with Jesus, that over 500 at one time saw Jesus all together. I wonder if Nicodemus was one of those 500. But man, how powerful is it that as somebody who wasn't a follower of Jesus, Jesus was approachable, Jesus was patient with questions, and Jesus was patient while Nicodemus was in process and how challenging is that for you and me, guys, as followers of Jesus, to be the kind of people who shine that kind of light to the world around us. Because that's who we're called to be. That's how we're supposed to live out our faith in this world. See, this is going like, to make us feel uncomfortable, but the truth is, guys, you and I are not called, in Matthew, the police of the world. We're called the light of the world. Which means our job, as Christians is not to look around at the world around us and point our finger and tell everybody how wrong they're getting it. It's to be the light, and it's to point them to the light. You were not saved because you started following the rules. You were saved because though you broke the rules, Jesus saved you, right? And so that's the message of hope, and that's supposed to be the thing that the world around us hears us saying, is that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is the Savior of the world. doesn't mean we don't have some hard conversations sometimes. That's what Jesus did, Right? He spoke the truth in love to Nicodemus and said, hey, man, you got to believe. This is about faith in me as the Savior of the world. And all that stuff you're doing in the dark, that's going to cause huge problems for you, and it's going to separate you eternally from me. You have to put your trust in me. So there was a hard conversation there, but it was all about the hope of life and salvation that Jesus offered. So I don't know about you, but some things I learned as I, I, I worked through this is that Jesus is willing to have conversations with people who disagree with him. Therefore, he's willing for you, if you're not a follower of Jesus, to approach him. And we as followers of Jesus need to be the kind of people who are approachable, who will talk with the people in the other groups and in the other camps. This past week, or a few weeks ago rather, I guess now, Kelly and I had a conversation with somebody that got pretty, uh, it didn't get intense, but the other person was bringing up intense things, let's say it that way. And they were saying some things that uh, Kelly and I really disagreed with and they were saying some things that were, I think, even there for maybe shock value. You know, you ever have somebody who knows you're a Christian, and so they almost say and do some things that just kind of shock you, you know? And I'm so thankful that in that moment where we both could have kind of just sort of like blasted into the person with our responses, like we both just held our tongue, and eventually the conversation kind of went a different way, and it was healthy, and it was good. And, you know, the interesting thing about that whole idea of like saying, people saying and doing things for shock value, is I think we have to, guys as Christians, and this is very, very difficult, we have to stop being offended that the world lives like they don't know Jesus because they don't know Jesus. We have to stop living like we're shocked when people do things that God wouldn't want them to do. In fact, will you read this with me? Jesus was never shocked at how lost sinners were. He was shocked at how faithless and self-righteous the religious were. That's the truth. Jesus was never shocked or surprised. He never looked at somebody who did something wrong and said, "Oh my gosh, how can they do this?" No, he said, "Oh, okay, that's why I'm here. They need the hope of salvation." It was the religious people who thought they were keeping the rules so well that Jesus looked at and was shocked at by their lack of faith and by their self-righteousness. And so, man, we got to become more and more like Jesus, who willing to have conversations with people who don't necessarily agree with them. Second thing is Jesus not afraid of our questions. And so, if you're a follower of Jesus, it's okay to bring your questions to him. And it's okay to bring your questions to me and, and to the friend that brought you and to the prayer team after, or the people on the band, or the friend you see in the lobby. It's okay to talk through that. And I, as, a, as a, somebody that was going through ministry training in college, I had so many questions about God. And I've told you before, I was just so ashamed to share my questions and my doubts about Jesus that I just lived in like torment for several years because I was too ashamed to ask somebody, hey, what do you think about this and how could God be good if this is still happening and can Jesus be trusted and all these different things and I hope today as we see that Jesus is not afraid of our questions that you will never hide your own questions about Jesus and I hope as Christians we will never make people feel like they have to hide their questions but that we'll be ready to lovingly talk with them and give answers. And lastly, Jesus is patient while we're in process. If you're not a follower of Jesus, it means Jesus will be patient with you too. You don't have to have Genesis through Revelation and everything in between absolutely worked out in your mind today to continue to approach Jesus. Think about Jesus' followers. Think about those 12 disciples who followed him. What did they know when they first started following Jesus? Now, I absolutely believe that all of that is true and all of that is the word of God, Genesis through Revelation, but if you're working through some of this and that and questions about this or that, Jesus is patient with you while you're in process, and as Christians, we need to be patient with those around us who are still in process. And remember, we're in process ourselves, aren't we? If we'll live this out, you know what might happen? Some of us here in the room might discover today or in the near future that Jesus is the Savior of the world. It'll change everything. As some of us here in the room might help others discover that Jesus is the Savior of the world as we converse, as we're patient with questions, and we're patient with people who are in process. And so where are you today? Are you Nicodemus coming at night trying to figure things out. Jesus is ready to answer your questions and we want to be ready and we apologize if we haven't been a good picture of who Jesus is when it comes to this. But we want to walk with you through your doubts and your questions and we want to point you to the hope that is Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, how can you better be the light that Jesus has called you and equipped you to be in this world? It's time to maybe think and pray about that. Man, am I okay to have conversations with people in those other groups? Am I okay with questions? And am I okay with people being in process? There's nothing like discovering who Jesus is and there's nothing like shining who Jesus is. Let's pray. God, I pray you'll help us with this. This is challenging stuff. It's hard. It's not easy. And I'm working my own way through it, God. I have to grow in all these areas, but I just pray that you'll help us. And I pray we'll take it seriously, God. I pray as Christians that we will long to be the light of the world. I pray you'll help us. If you're a follower of Jesus and you have some people in your life that you know God wants you to be a better example of who Jesus is, would you pray about that? Would you pray about maybe the way you handle conversations? Would you pray about maybe the way others approach you and, and just that those conversations would be good and healthy and and helpful? And if you're not a follower of Jesus today and you want to put your trust in him, I would just encourage you today to reach out to him like Nicodemus did and and just come to him as you are, ready to explore, ready to continue to discover what it is to follow him. I'd love for you to begin a conversation maybe saying something like this. Jesus, thank you for all that you've done for me. Thank you for forgiving me of my sin. Thank you for dying in my place. Thank you for rising back from the dead to save me. Jesus, show me what all this means. Help me with my questions, my doubts, and help me while I'm in process. If you're a follower of Jesus, I hope that you're challenged this week to live out this beautiful truth of what Jesus has done for you in your workplace and in your office and in your home and in your neighborhood. God, just use us in these different areas of our lives that you've given us to shine brightly. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you're not ready to ask Jesus to be your Savior today, would you just pray this with me? God, if you're real, Show me you're there. Jesus, help me, God, answer these questions. Thank you for all you've done for me.